Well, in 2018, there were an estimated 23,404,300 individual self-storage units in the United States. That equates to about 14 people per storage unit based on the United States population of 327 million. At that time, there were 52,786 individual facilities with hundreds of units, each most of them. And there are more individual facilities, individual storage facilities, not units, but there are more individual storage facilities than the total number of Starbucks, Wendy's, McDonald's, Pizza Huts, and Dunkin' Donuts combined. So we have more, we have more self-storage units than we have all of those restaurants combined all across the country. I think it's safe to say that we like our stuff. We, 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 are, we have a lot of stuff. You know, right now, that was one of the things I was wrestling with just this morning is how much stuff we have. We have a shop Grandpa's old shop full of stuff, and then we put a whole bunch more stuff in there from the church. <laughs> and then I've been gathering stuff to build this uh, writing shed, because we don't have a home office. So we want to build a little writing shed, outdoor office slash place for family to stay when they come from out of town. And so I've got all this wood that I've been collecting to build that and other things from, and it's just full. It's full. But wood is expensive, so like, I feel justified in saving wood because it costs a lot of money to buy wood. But, uh, but, we, but we have a lot of stuff. We like our stuff, and we have so much stuff that we, that we need to build storage units and pay to, to store our stuff in places. Um, as a society, we don't really deny ourselves anything very often anymore. Some of us, I think, you know, maybe we, you know, maybe we're, we live a little leaner than others. Some of us, you know, have, uh, have, have more, what is that, extra income, disposable income than others. But yet, most of us are doing pretty well when you consider that 62% of the earth's population lives on less than $10 per day. And like we said last week, the average income in America is about $69,000 a year. So in general, we're doing pretty well compared to the rest of the world, at least 62% of the earth's population. So we like our stuff, and we don't really deny ourselves all that much stuff anymore because of where we live and the kind of culture that we live in. Did anyone get a chance to go outside and work do any gardening or yard work or anything out in the sunshine? Harper, you did? You had to? We made you? <laughs> you did last week? You did it in the rain and in the cold? Was it? No. I don't recall that. That's too, too long ago. Yeah, we were able to get out, and we haven't done anything in the garden yet, um, but finally pruned the apple trees and planted a couple other fruit trees to replace ones that had been nibbled off by various creatures 
first by the elk and deer and then by the dogs. Once they get down to a certain height, the dogs think they're chew toys. And so they have a hard time coming back. But it's, it's great to get outside. It's great to, to do some work with your hands and get some sunshine and vitamin D, fresh air. Um, we're in John chapter 12 tonight, and those things that we just talked about will come back here in just a little bit when we get into the text. So if you want to open up uh, your Bibles to John 12, verse 20, 12, 20 through uh, 32, I think. Thirty-six. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now was the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Now I want to look at just a couple of sections of this and then I'll kind of drill in on, uh, on a couple of verses here to wrap up our time but let's start in verse 35, this idea of, or no, verse 27, start in verse 27, sorry. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, John is the only one of the four Gospels that includes this reference to God speaking. So the other Gospels talk about a couple of other times. Can anyone remember the two other times 
that God spoke audibly where people heard, witnesses heard God's voice. What were you saying, Peter? Yep, transfiguration and Jesus' baptism. So God's voice spoke both times and, and affirmed Jesus at his baptism and at the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter wanted to build the tents so everyone could stay up on the mountain. Now, why do you think John chose to include this detail here while the other gospel writers didn't? Why did John write this is this is right before the triumphal or right after the triumphal entry? This is the week that Jesus is going to be crucified, just a you know, a few hours, maybe a day or two before he's going to go through all of that tragedy. And here John includes this reference where where this voice came from heaven affirming that his vo- that the name of God has been glorified. Why do you think John chose to include that reference? right here where the other gospel writers chose not to. That's a good question. Were they all there? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know if all of the disciples were there. We know John was there. We know Philip and Andrew were there. But that doesn't, it doesn't make it clear that all of them were there. To hear it, so maybe they didn't hear it and write it down. That's another good question because the text seems makes it sound like not everyone heard the heard the same thing. Some thought it was just thunder. Some thought it was an angel that had spoken to him. So it was maybe John was the only one that was clear that it was the voice of God. Yeah, so John's filling in, you know, some of what was left out in the other gospel accounts. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you hear a, a voice from heaven speaking, you'd think, oh, that should be included in the story somewhere every time. Yeah, I think all of those are valid reasons or valid questions. I, I do think at least a part why he was including it here was uh, because he's, he's setting out, remember from all the way back last summer when we started in John, he wants to make it clear that Jesus is God. He is divine. And he's trying to set him apart from John the Baptist and elevate him above the ministry of John the Baptist so people are able to see the divinity of Jesus. So I think that's at least part of the reason why John's including it here, so that, so that there is a witness, a testimony from heaven that Jesus is God. Jesus' name is God, and the, and the name of God is being glorified because Jesus didn't ask for his name, his personal name, to be glorified, right? It says, Father, glorify your name. And the voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. So I think there's, 
I think there's some significance. I also, you know, emotionally, there could probably be some significance to Jesus hearing from the Father audibly at this moment as he's about to head into, you know, the torture of the cross and everything that's facing him. To hear, to hear the Father's voice was probably quite reassuring, knowing that he was heading into what he had been sent here to do. Now, this passage on light we're actually going to cover next week because there's another reference to light in next week's, uh, in next week's scripture reading that we're studying. So we're going to hold that out. So verse 35 uh, and 30 through 36, we'll cover that in a little more detail next Sunday evening. But I want to go to verse 31 where Jesus says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. There's this phrase, when I am lifted up from the earth. What is Jesus talking about here when he says lifted up? The resurrection? Being lifted up on the cross? And we know that for certain because the, the, the text says that, right? In verse 33, it says, He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Could there be anything else? The ascension. Yeah, so there are, there are some commentators that think anytime Jesus said the phrase, when I am lifted up from the earth... He's not just talking about the crucifixion, even though he's talking about that. He, he's talking about the whole thing from the crucifixion to the resurrection to the ascension. So this whole part of, of, of the story that's about to happen and take place over, over the next uh, 50 days are, are elements of that being lifted up from the earth. So, so he's, he's making a, a distinction and it also creates a conundrum um, that he's talking about, you've had me for a little, for all this time, and you've got me a little while longer. Believe now while you still have me, while you have the light, so that you can become children of the light. And so he knows, he knows that he's not only about to be lifted up on the cross, but that he shortly after that will go back to heaven and leave, leave the disciples and his followers without him. So he's, he's using that to help encourage them to believe now while they still have the time. Well, it's easy to believe. I want to wrap up. Yeah. Just to support what you just said, because John 12 doesn't answer that question explicitly. Right. But John 3 says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And everyone who believes in him they have eternal life. So there, he connects it up with, with going to heaven. Mm -hmm. So that would, I just wanted to back yeah. up the scripture actually says it, so it's not just your theory. Right, yeah. And that was John 3. Yes. So uh, to, to wrap up our time, just a few minutes here, I want to go to verse 24 through 26. This is a, a, pretty important, a pretty important scripture, I think, that Jesus says here. It's one of my favorites. Anytime Jesus talks about, well, he'd be talking about farming, you know, agriculture, 
to me, it's mainly gardening. And for most of us, it's gardening. But anytime he talks about something that's gardening in nature, it really helps me understand uh, what he's talking about. So I really appreciate it. And I want to just look at it a little bit. It says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So we're not, we're not quite to seed planting time. Uh, you probably could plant some you know, sugar peas or this, you know, the snap peas, the winter peas. Those could go in the ground right now. And then you have to remember that you planted them. Um, <laughs> there was one, I was, I was disking up the garden with the tractor one year and uh, got over along the fence along the edge of the garden where I had planted the peas. And I had forgotten that we had planted the peas. And I don't know if one of the kids came running out and said, why are, why are you tilling under the peas? <laughs> I had just totally forgotten that they were there. So if you plant them, plant them somewhere where you're not going to accidentally till them over when you do the rest of the garden. Because I've done that. So we have not yet had those peas that grow in the winter. But... Um, I love it because it's just, it's, it's a very, a very tangible real world, at least for Jesus' time it would have been. We're not as in tune with, with seeds and dirt and earth and the process of growing things as they would have been in this time, but this would have just been made complete sense uh, when he's talking about it. But we know this, like you can see this just in the world around us when you plant a seed you put the seed in the ground, you bury the seed in the ground, the seed dies, it literally has to start decomposing so that the moisture can get into the seed, and once the moisture gets into the seed, there's something in that seed that starts to spring to life and grow something new after the seed has died, but the seed has to die and be split up and opened up for that new life to grow up out of the seed. And then once the seed grows into a plant, it can produce, uh, like Jesus will say, 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. You, it'll, it'll produce more and more fruit, way more than what was planted. And almost all healthy plants will produce about, you know, at least 100 times what was sown, um, maybe even more. So that's what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about himself, and he says, unless... Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, unless I fall to the ground and die, I remain only a single seed. I, I remain only one person. I remain only, only one instance of, of this transformed life, this life that shines brightly, the light into the darkness. So as if I don't die, if I am not planted into the ground, then it's just going to be just me shining this light, and that's all there will ever be. But if it dies, then, then the seed can produce many, many other seeds. Without that death, without the death of Jesus, then it's just Jesus' life that's the presence of, of God on the earth. But we know if we could just scan forward into the story, because he died, because 
He ascended, rose, rose from the dead, ascended back to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit of Christ lives in all who believe. We know that, that many seeds, in fact, billions of seeds have, have grown as a result of this one seed being planted. And he goes on and he, and he uses this verse, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves. Now Jesus is saying, he has just said that he's about to defeat the prince of this world. The prince of this world must be, must be driven out. The prince of this world is about to be defeated. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we actually see a prophecy about this moment where, where God is giving, giving Adam and Eve the, the, the instructions of the curse and everything that's happening with the curse. And he says to the serpent that, that you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And this is the moment that's coming, the fulfillment of that prophecy. But as he's about to defeat the prince of this world, it's not going to be through an epic war, like you might think. It's not going to be this epic battle between two forces, you know, fighting for supremacy. It's not the kind of war that we would expect to see, like we've seen many times in the world today, even going on in the world right now. Jesus is actually starting to establish a new kind of warfare where it's no longer the warfare that's mustering up all of your own strength to try to defeat the enemy and, and muster up enough power and courage to vanquish your enemy. It's not trying to get as many weapons and soldiers as you possibly can to come against your enemy. It's actually dying, which is so contrary to how, how war and defeating a prince of this world would go in anyone's mind. They had been thinking that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and set up his kingdom and set up the kingdom of God and, and would just, all of the other kingdoms of the earth would just bow down and, 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 and serve the one true kingdom and those who didn't would be destroyed. And that's the picture people had in their minds of the Messiah as this conquering hero. But Jesus says the way that he's going to defeat the prince of this world is by dying, by laying down his life, specifically dying for others or dying for something other than himself. As long as we hold on to our lives or hold on to what we think our life is supposed to be, we run the risk and we're in danger of being just that single seed. Just like Jesus, if he held on to his life, what he thought life was supposed to be, if he, if he decided, if he looked at the cross and said, no, that's too much, I'm not going through all of that, he would have remained just a single seed. We also do the same thing. If we hold on to everything in our lives and what we think life is supposed to be, we run the risk of remaining a single seed too. But if we let go of all of that, if we start to surrender our lives to the higher cause of Christ, if we die to what we think life is supposed to be, if we die to those things that we think we're entitled to receive, then we can be a seed planted in the soil.
So my voice is not used to this much work yet. But Jesus is not just not just fighting a war or ending a war. He's actually establishing a new kingdom. And this new kingdom has new rules, it has a new way of working, it has a new order, has has a new system and a new structure. The old kingdom is ruled by death. And we still see that old kingdom when it's in use in the world today being ruled by death, right? Because the kingdoms of this world have and still use death as their threat. They use death as their threat to manipulate and control people. And if someone refuses to submit to the rule of this evil dictator, then he's going to kill them and get them out of his way. We see this happening right now in Ukraine. Right? And, and, and in a war, this is typically what you have. You have two kingdoms fighting to stay alive, right? You're fighting to remain alive. You're fighting, fighting so that you don't die. You're, you're fighting so that, so that if someone has to die, it's the other guy, not me. I want to keep my life, and I want my fellow countrymen to keep their lives. I, I'm fighting to stay alive. But Jesus is establishing an entirely new kingdom, a new world order. And Jesus, by choosing to lay down his life, is actually establishing the way the new kingdom works. Now, it's important for us to always remember that Jesus is laying down his life by his own choice. We just studied this in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So he's choosing to lay down or sacrifice his life. He's surrendering. He's, he's giving himself up for, for something else. He, he's not, he's not at, the, at the mercy of another kingdom and fighting for his life and, and going to be annihilated by the, other, by the ruler or the prince of the world. He is choosing to lay down his life and sacrifice it. And by doing so, he's taking the biggest threat that the prince of this world has in his arsenal and disarming it. Because the prince of this world has death as his primary weapon. That's, that's what he operates in. That's the world that he lives in. He lives in the realm of death. And by willfully surrendering to death, Jesus actually goes through death and defeats it. He defeats the primary weapon, right? I mean, it's like that scene in Independence Day, which I, I, I argue is still one of the best movies that's ever been made, 
But right, you know, the, the, the aliens bring their great big UFO and you know, they've got that big primary weapon and, and they, it just comes and hovers over a city and it just, once they shoot that thing down, just destroys like a whole, you know, a whole like five mile radius and just, just, just completely annihilates everything. And then they're moving from city to city, you know, shooting their primary weapon and just destroying everything. And, and then they come over the Air Force Base at the end. And you, you remember this where they come over the Air Force Base at the end and they're having this war right outside the Air Force Base um, at Area 51. And, and so they scramble all the fighter jets and they got the guys up in space who do the virus so it disables all of their shields. And then, and then they go after their primary weapon as they're about to fire it. And once they defeat and destroy the primary weapon, it actually destroys the whole ship, completely defeating the alien force. And I'm not saying that Independence Day is a metaphor for Christianity, so don't hear me. Like I'm not saying that the people who made that movie were trying to, trying to portray Jesus in any way, shape, or form. But it's an example of what Jesus does by, by going through, right, if you remember the scene, right, the guy, the, the crazy crop farmer that, farmer that was drunk, um, he actually flies up into the primary weapon. He flies his plane up into the primary weapon to destroy it. It's by going through the weapon that the enemy is destroyed. And it's the same thing that Jesus is using here. He's going through the enemy's primary weapon this consequence of sin and rebellion against God, he's going through that weapon that the enemy uses as a threat and he defeats it by surrendering to it. And then in the process and multiple times, he calls his followers to do the same thing. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. So if we're going to serve Jesus, we have to follow him, right? If we, want, if we want the life like his, we have to follow him into a death like his. Now, we don't literally have to die physically, but spiritually we have to die. We have to surrender spiritually to the life of Christ. We have to surrender our own lives so that the life of Christ can set up residence inside us and take over and start to produce a new life in us. We have to willingly sacrifice ourselves for the cause of Christ. Where we stop looking out for ourselves and our own interests, trying to discover all the ins and outs of who we think we're supposed to be, and instead we find ourselves losing ourselves in Christ. We find ourselves by losing ourselves in Christ. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 19 said, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by, by the blood of Jesus, by, here in verse 20, he says, by a new and living way, open for us <coughs> through the curtain that is his body. So the curtain or the veil, you know, the veil in the Old Testament that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was just something that pointed to Jesus' body. And his body becomes a new and living way, the curtain 
that separated us from the, from the Father. Now it's open and we go through his body and enter into the holy of holies, into the holy place. This is a new and living way that's been opened for us. It's, it's not a way paved with death, but it's a way paved by life. And it's going through death to get to life. The image is actually literally crawling through his flesh on the cross so that we can come through the other side and receive his life. Well, elsewhere, Jesus has said in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So just like that seed that gets planted into the ground, if you try to hold on to it, if you try to cling to it and never let go of it, never actually surrender it to the ground, it just remains a single seed. But if you, if you let it go, if you surrender your life to Christ, then it can become a, a plant that produces many seeds and much fruit. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever holds on to that seed is going to lose it. But whoever loses it, for me will save it. We live in a society of abundance, overwhelming abundance. We've got more stuff than we'll ever know what to do with, ourselves included. We have way too much junk in our home, way too much junk in our shop. We don't need the, ship, the storage containers in the used store places because we've got our own great big used store place out, of the, out there. We live in a society of, of abundance. Which just means that in this, in this world where the air that we breathe, the water that we're swimming in is abundance and junk and too much stuff and buy, buy, buy and consume and, and collect, we have to work even harder to learn to deny ourselves. We're in the season of Lent right now when we're supposed to be doing some of that denial and we didn't uh, participate in that this year as a church. We didn't uh, uh, set anything up for us to do that. But this is the typical time of year when we would actually be focusing on denying ourselves and, and holding something back uh, out, of, out of sacrifice and surrender to Christ. Every day we're going to be faced with a choice. Are we going to follow the ways of the world that's just saying, you do you, go get what you want, get what you deserve, you earned it, you deserve it, go get it, it's yours. Or are we going to follow the way of the new kingdom that says, you die to you. The world around you says, you do you, but Jesus says, you die to you. We have to die to ourselves daily. As Jesus is quoted in, in Luke, you have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow after him. You die to you daily instead of you do you. Heavenly Father, pray that you help us as we, 
as we head into the next couple of weeks thinking about the crucifixion, thinking about the resurrection and all the implications of the cross and the resurrection on our lives. I pray that you just remind us once more that it's not just something we receive and add to our lives, but it actually comes with a price that we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to what we think life is. We have to die to what we think we're entitled to so that we can receive the life that is truly life. Otherwise, we're clinging to something, holding on to something that looks like life, that resembles life, but is only a, a type and shadow of what life really is in you. It points us to you, but it's never going to fulfill and satisfy the way you can. Help us, Father, as we head into these next couple of weeks to be, to be keenly aware of all the areas of our lives where we need to surrender, where we need to, to stop accumulating and, and collecting, and instead we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after you, and lay down our lives for one another, and lay down our lives in love for those around us. Help us to lead by example and live that kind of life. In Jesus' name, amen.